Hi, and welcome to the entirely inaccurately named Five Minutes of Rum, Notes on Rum, a few minutes at a time. My name is Kevin at the Grove. This is episode 26, and in this episode, I'll taste Rum Barbancourt 8, also known as Rum Barbancourt 5 Star, and make the Port-au-Prince cocktail from Beach Bumberry's Sip and Safari book. Now, before we get started, uh, something a little unusual in the realm of rum uh, is that there's something akin to breaking news. Now, depending on when you listen to this, because it's a podcast, I don't know if it's going to be breaking news anymore, but um, at the time I'm recording this, it's relatively newsworthy. Um, So Lemonheart 151, which uh, we covered in a previous episode and is a key component in many old Don the Beachcomber and other recipes, um, has sort of a checkered distribution past and recently in the last couple of years uh, came back on the market after having disappeared for a while. Um, it was brought to the attention of Tiki Central and to uh, and via an email to me um, that Lemonheart 151 is actually the company that produces it is ceasing said production until mid-2015 for reasons that are not quite clear to me. Um, I don't know exactly why that is. Apparently something was posted on Facebook um, from the parent company. And then uh, it was nice enough, uh, Jim Hayward, who runs the Atomic Grog, which I'll talk about more in a moment, was nice enough to post that blurb from Facebook onto Tiki Central, which is where I picked up on it. So short version is Lemonheart 151. The new version is sort of going on hiatus until in terms of production until mid-2015. So if you have some locally and you um, or if you have a store locally that carries it, you may want to check and see if they still have it in stock because it's probably going to go away for a little while. Um, otherwise, if you have some on hand, you know, you might want to ration it a little bit. Um, after hearing about that, I, I went out and picked up a couple of bottles and also made it a point to get a bottle of the Plantation Overproof, which I haven't bought yet um, until now, but I placed an order for it and I'm anxiously awaiting its arrival. And so although I don't want to make this the entire, you know, just a Plantation Rum podcast, um, I have a feeling that because of the lemon, the pending lemon heart hiatus, I will probably get to that plantation overproof sooner rather than later and see if it may, um, may make a acceptable substitute in cocktails that call for lemon heart 151. Um, and again, I want to mention, um, and say thanks to Jim hurricane Hayward who posts on Tiki central. Often he also runs the atomic grog, which I have a link to in the show notes, which is. Um, a couple of great resources. One, it sort of serves as the official blog for the Hukilau, which is the annual tiki event that takes place at the Maikai out in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And it also is the home of the Maikai Cocktail Guide, which I've used for a couple of years now as um, a resource for recreating some Maikai cocktails at home. Um, and Jim does a fantastic job of dissecting the co- the old cocktail menu of the Maikai and the current cocktail menu of the Mai Kai and just sort of dissecting that and putting it into um, articles that you can follow along with and formulate at home. Um, it's a great, great resource and I recommend it highly. So again, uh, show link uh, or link is in the show notes, but definitely go check that out. All right, on to the regularly featured part of the Five Minutes of Rum episode 26, which is Rum Barbancourt 8 or Rum Barbancourt 5 Star. Um, you know, the reason why it kind of has two names is on the label, I think it's referred to as Rum Barbancourt Five Star. Hang on, let me grab the bottle. The bottle itself has five stars all over it and also makes prominent mention of it being aged five years. Or, excuse me, eight years. Um, so I actually often refer to it as Rum Barbancourt Eight um, in, you know, in, in deference to the other versions that they make, which is Rum Barbancourt a 15 year and a Rum Barbancourt four year. 
Uh, but you'll also see it referenced as Rum Barbon Court Five Star because truly the the four year has a different set of stars on it. So either way um, is a acceptable way to refer to it. Now, Rum Barbon Court is a rum that is uh, from the island of, or from the uh, independent state of Haiti. Haiti, of course, shares the island Hispaniola with the Dominican Republic. It's on the western half of the island. Um, and if you think back to the when many of the Caribbean islands were originally part of uh, European colonialism, um, Haiti represented a French colonial effort in the Caribbean, and then it became an independent state after the Haitian Revolution in 1791. So it is an independent state, but it does have um, if you go back a couple hundred years or, you know, what, 300 years now, um, it has a definitely a French influence uh, to its culture. Um, and part of that French heritage, uh, Barbancourt rum was started by Dupre Barbancourt in 1862 when he immigrated to Haiti from France. Um, its production method, if you look on the website, is said to be very reminiscent of cognac, in fact. He was a, uh, Dupre Barbancourt was from that region of France, and he brought that knowledge of French cognac making over to Haiti and applied that to rum. And so the rum takes on some of the characteristics, um, not necessarily in taste, but in production um, of a cognac. So for instance, when it comes to distillation, uh, rum barbancourt uses a double distillation method. Um, if you look at their website, it uses a particular type of method um, from the region of France where uh, Dupre barbancourt came from. Um, the first stage of this distillation is actually separating the cane from the water um, through heating and evaporation in the distilled columns. And then you end up with a, a white agri uh, agricultural rum or agricole rum, um, which is about 70% alcohol by volume. And then the second distillation um, really narrows it down to the key elements that they want to actually get from the distillate um, and gets it down to you know just the alcohols that they want to actually preserve. And then from that point, it moves on to aging, and then it's aged in, uh, let me see, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but limousin oak barrels. Uh, essentially, it's some of the same barrels that cognacs are barreled in in France. Um, and so, it, you know, depending on how long it stays in the barrel, you end up with the different versions of Barbancourt rum, but the one we're talking about today would be an, an eight-year rum that's aged eight years in French oak. So, very similar in production to a cognac and also has... Uh, some of the same elements of an agricole rum, actually. So if you think to uh, agricole rum, which was from Martinique, um, that's also sort of a, a French background and the same style of rum in that it's not a rum that's made from molasses, but it's a rum that's made from the juice of fresh pressed cane. So it's, again, very similar to an agricole rum from Martinique. Martinique has an official AOC or Appellation of Origin that governs how it's produced. Um, but even without the AOC, it's a very similar style of rum. Um, also similar to the style is Cachaca um, from Brazil, but that's an entirely another podcast. Um, so as, a, as something that's very similar to a Martinique rum in terms of production, I often will use this rum as one half of a Mai Tai base with a Jamaican rum, um, sometimes with an Appleton VX, but usually with Smith & Cross. So between Smith & Cross and a rum barbancourt, uh, end up with a pretty good mix of uh, rums in a Mai Tai, which is similar to a, you know, what I would say the Trader Vic style when you want to mix a Jamaican rum and a Martinique rum, gives you something similar as a blend, um, but some very unique flavors from both the Smith and Cross and the Barbancourt. Okay, so let's let's taste the rum Barbancourt eight year. 
Um, so this rum is a, it's bottled at 86 proof or 43% alcohol by volume. Um, if you pour it and hold it in a glass, it, it's, you know, a light gold in the glass. And then when you hold it up directly to a light, it gets to be a little bit darker amber color. Um, and then it has what I would consider quick legs when you swirl it in the glass. In terms of aroma, uh, the first aromas you get, it's, it smells fresh. It smells a little grassy and a little astringency from the alcohol. I don't think it's unexpected that you would get some of that grassiness because it is, again, it's not a molasses-based rum, but it is a rum that's based on fresh-pressed cane juice. Um, I noticed once I swirled the alcohol in the glass, the alcohol burn kind of picked up a little bit. I could catch it a little bit more in my nostrils. Um, and then when I when I smell it from the bottle, I pick up the sugarcane smell particularly, but once it's poured and swirled in the glass, it kind of changes a little bit and I don't get as much of that sugarcane smell or that sugar smell. Um, and I almost hesitate to mention this because it'll sound off-putting, but when it, once it's in the glass and I've swirled it around a bit, there's a little bit of a, a, a rubber smell. I think it's actually the, the barrel and the wood, but my nose is having some, some trouble processing that. Um, if I go back to the bottle and smell it from there again, I smell the sugar and the oak and the wood from the barrel. So something about pouring it into a glass and aerating it has really changed the aroma, at least for me. And then once you let it sit for a couple of minutes again in the glass, it begins to take on a more of that more of that woodiness smell. So I'm guessing there's probably some play between the soil elements of the rum and the woodiness of the barrel. And then when you agitate it and aerate it, it, it sort of creates some sort of different aroma. Taste-wise, there's there when you taste it, there's some heat, and that balances out the woodiness of it. Nothing too dramatic in terms of heat. Uh, maybe a little bit of vanilla from the oak barrel, um, but not too overwhelming. I, you don't you don't get a ton of vanilla. It's just kind of sitting there in the background, and probably knowing that it came from an oak barrel made me think that there's probably some vanilla. So it might have been the power of suggestion anything, more than anything else. Um, it doesn't feel like there's been a ton of added sugar to it like you have with some rums. So it's a little dry and similar notes to an agricole as, again, you might expect being a, um, a rum that's made from fresh pressed cane juice. In terms of finish, uh, I found it a really smooth finish, not hot, uh, probably quick, like it's not something that lingered on in the throat for a long time, but overall, you know, very smooth. So summary on this rum, um, until working on this episode, I actually stuck to mixing the eight year. Um, I had and, and have finished a bottle of 15 year that I really only drank neat, but I don't think I've given the eight year a fair shake as a sipper. Um, again, I've used it mostly as a as half a Mai Tai mix or part of a Navy Grog or something like that. Um, overall, it's a it's a nice dry rum, a little warm, has a little bit of barrel notes, and I think it might be enjoyed by some of you who, or your friends that enjoy whiskey or rye. I would probably recommend you know maybe having if if you have some friends that enjoy whiskey or rye but don't necessarily enjoy rum, you may want to try sharing this with them and see um, how they react to it. I personally always have a bottle of this rum in my bar, even though I don't go through it a lot. Um, and again, as I mentioned, it makes a good substitute for the agricole in a recipe that calls for that. So the recipe in today's episode comes from Sip and Safari. Um, and before we actually get into the recipe, I'd like to talk a little bit about the book itself, Sip and Safari. So Sip and, well, first of all, if you've listened to any episodes of this show before, you know that I make often reference to Jeff Berry or Beach Bum Berry's book, Beach Bum Berry Remix. That was the sort of compilation book that combined the best parts of the Grog Log along with Intoxica and then incorporated some new recipes and he re went back and reformulated some old recipes from those old books. And that's really my go-to. I keep that 
uh, a copy of that at the bar at all times. There's a lot of recipes in there, and I, I really like not only going and making those recipes, but finding new variations on them. And in addition to that, it also had some some new recipes from some current people that are in the tiki bartending scene. So great book. Sip and Safari is a different sort of book. It was put out by, uh, let me grab my copy here, put out by Jeff Berry in 2007 originally. And while it does have a great number of recipes in it and classic tiki recipes from Don the Beachcomber, from the Mai Kai, from Stephen Crane's uh, Luau and Con Tiki. Um, it contains, you know, a ton of recipes just like his normal book, but it's actually a book that's more like a travel log. So uh, Jeff takes the history of Tiki cocktails and tracks them from locale to locale from where they got their start um, in the early 30s with Don the Beachcomber and one of his early disciples, Ray Buin, who went on to go work at pretty much any Tiki bar worth its salt before going on to open his own, the Tiki Tea. Um, and then he follows the lineage of tiki drinks uh, through several different uh, chapters, you know, over to Hawaii or back over to uh, Stephen Crane as he partnered with the Sheraton to open Contiki's all across the country. And then finally ending up with uh, the Maikai out in Florida when that was built, when Bob and Jack Thornton, who were the ones responsible for building the Maikai, went to Don the Beachcomber, the Don the Beachcomber restaurant in Chicago where they went and hired the number two barman at that restaurant named Mariano Lissudain. Um, and I'm hopefully not, I'm not mispronouncing his last name, but Mariano, um, who ended up being the architect of the bar program at the Maikai and went on to become quite famous for not only the concoctions that he made, but for where those concoctions were created. So um, anyways, that's Sip and Safari. It's, it's a travelogue with recipes. Uh, I really recommend buying a copy if you don't have a copy. In fact, you might want to buy two, uh, one that you can read and one that you can you know, use in your bar. And so uh, one thing to keep in mind with this book is the way it's bound. It's not bound spirally like the Grog Log or like Intoxica. It's bound, I think they would refer to it as perfect bound, uh, like a you know sort of a quote unquote regular book, the same way that Beach Bunbury Remixed is bound. Um, I've found that that doesn't work so well for the bar. And so with both Beach Bunbury Remixed and with uh, an extra copy of uh, Sip and Safari, I've taken those out to the local Kinko's, had them chop off the binding at the end and make it spiral bound. And voila, it makes a much better bartender's friend uh, when you have it in spiral bound form. So uh, definitely go out and get a copy. There's a link in the show notes. Um, you can grab it from Amazon or you can grab it from other locations. Um, I would... One thing to note is I have an older copy from, I think I'm guessing was the original printing, although I didn't buy it new in 2007, I don't think. Um, I recently bought another copy so that I could have it cut and bound. And I noticed that the reprint copy is printed on a slightly different stock of paper. Um, and while it's fine for the bar, it's not the same glossy print that it was originally. So if you can find an original copy, that's one to keep. I wouldn't cut and bound and bind that one. But if you can buy a more recent one, the reprint copy, um, you know, Chop that up and put it in your bar. Okay, the recipe for this episode is named Port-au-Prince. Uh, so if you know anything about Haiti, you might know that Port-au-Prince is the capital. It's the chief port and overall center of uh, the nation of Haiti. And so um, it makes sense that a recipe that calls for rum barbancourt would be named for the capital of Haiti. Uh, this recipe itself is an early Don's recipe from the 1930s. Uh, if you reference the recipe in Sip and Safari, they'll note that it has disappeared by uh, from Don's menu 
1941. So it probably existed on Don's uh, menu for less than 10 years. Um, don't know why it disappeared. You know, uh, Don was the type of person, if you read any of the books by Jeff Berry or any of the, even the uh, biography of Don the Beachcomber, you'll note that he was somebody who was constantly working on his recipes and sort of a metaphor for how he approached things. He was sort of nomadic by nature and never stayed in one place for too long, just like he never dwelled on one drink for too long and constantly tinkered with them. So um, chances are good that, you know, this drink fell out of favor when something new popped up. Uh, but luckily, some of those old recipe books uh, from the 1930s survive, and so we have the Port-au-Prince. The recipe for Port-au-Prince is one half ounce of fresh lime juice, one half ounce of unsweetened pineapple juice, one half ounce of falernum, and there'll be a link in the show notes to the episode where we talked about making your own falernum. If you don't make your own, uh, try some BG Reynolds or maybe some Snug Harbor falernum. One quarter ounce of sugar syrup, three quarter ounce of Barbancourt five star rum, which is the eight year, three quarter ounce of gold Virgin Islands rum. I'm using Cruzon in mine, a dash of Angostura bitters, one eighth of a teaspoon, which is the roughly equivalent to six drops of grenadine and four ounces or a uh, half cup of crushed ice. Combine all of those ingredients into a spindle blender, adding the ice last, and then blend for five seconds and pour unstrained into a Pilsner glass. Garnish with a mint sprig and perhaps a maraschino cherry on a bamboo stick. So why a Pilsner glass? Well, if you look at the ingredients for this drink, it's not a very large drink. Uh, If I do the math really quickly, I'm looking at um, ounce and a half of rum, ounce and a half, uh, maybe two ounces of modifier, plus some grenadine and bitters, and then four ounces of crushed ice. So you're looking at a pretty small drink. Pilsner is a pretty small glass, good presentation. Um, if, you, if you have a Pilsner glass and it doesn't quite come up to the top, the drink that is, add a little bit more crushed ice. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to a Pilsner glass that's available at Cost Plus, but you know, you, it's, a, it's a relatively small drink, so it takes a relatively small glass. Taste-wise, you know, it's a relatively balanced drink the uh the ounce and a half of rum is balanced nicely by the ounce and a half of citrus and sugar uh the bitters in there gives it a you know takes a little bit more edge off the sweet the grenadine gives a little bit of color but not too much um and then overall it's just you know a nice simple balanced drink so nothing too uh nothing too intense you know sort of roughly on par with having a daiquiri so if you served a round of these to your guests as they arrived at the beginning of a cocktail party it would probably be a nice start for them so that's it for this episode of five minutes of rum. Thank you for listening. Show links are up on the five minutes of rum website. That's number five minutes of rum.com. The show is also on iTunes as five minutes of rum on iTunes. You can subscribe, you can rate the show or leave a review, or you can do all of those things. Uh, the show is also on Twitter as at five minutes of rum. That's at symbol number five minutes of rum, uh, via either Twitter or the website. You can send in comments, corrections, feedback, or requests. Um, and now, Go get some rum. Mm-hmm.